Wine, Food, Talk. NapaBroadcasting.com. Thanks for joining us once again at NapaBroadcasting.com. Not unlike Washington, where there are a Christmas tree ornament number of agencies and organizations connected with the company town of government. Here in Napa, we have a proportionately large number of organizations and nonprofits connected to our wine industry. But sitting atop the pantheon of those organizations is the Napa Valley Vintners. By any analysis, the preeminent wine industry group in our wine capital of Napa. And leading that organization today, as she has for almost 20 years, is the CEO of the Napa Valley Vintners, Linda Reef. It is my pleasure to welcome her here to NapaBroadcasting.com for the first time. Linda, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here in these luxurious studios. It's a delight to have you here. But thanks for coming in. And thanks for finding it. It's always a challenge for everybody. No Appreciate problem. it. I want to talk first a little bit about the mission of the Napa Valley Vintners. There are, as you know, as I said in the introduction, so many organizations here, and there's so many aspects of the wine industry. The Napa Valley Vintners has certainly at the moment a singular mission. It's it's altered, it's changed, it's adapted over the years. But talk about first its mission today. Absolutely. And in fact, it, it's interesting because the mission today is very similar to the mission when the organization was founded more than 70 years ago. And that mission is to promote, protect, and enhance the Napa Valley Appalachian. And over the years, how has that changed? Over the years, uh, when the organization was first started, the group did indeed work on marketing and promotions activities, but they also came together around key industry issues, some things that were going on at the time around transportation, labor, et cetera, if you think back in that era of the mid to late 40s. But over time, the organization has shied away from things, stepped back from getting involved in industry issues, then gotten back involved, you know, back and forth. And now today, we are full on involved in everything. Marketing and promotions is still number one in terms of what we do. But we also work very hard on issues of concern to our industry and our community at the local, state, federal, and international level. And we also provide member education and resources for all of our our winery members and their employees. As that mission has become more focused on those things over the years, the organization itself has gotten larger and larger. The board's gotten bigger. There's certainly more voices, more strong personalities here in the Valley. <laughs> Talk about the way in which you've been able to keep the organization focused on that mission mm-hmm. when there are so many more voices to be heard. Right, exactly. Well, when I took my job, we had 100 wineries in the organization. We now have 525 The board of directors is still the same size, though. It's 11 members elected in a real election by the membership. We have, um, you know, nomination process. We have ballots. They are contested elections. So the people on the board are indeed representatives of the greater membership. The key in working in any nonprofit is listening to everyone getting folks around the table, hearing all sides and concerns, and trying to come up with a constructive common ground, common goals to move forward. The way in which we've done that, and I think we've been very successful, is we have a thoughtful process that we go through every three years to develop a strategic plan. Last year, we did this working on our new plan that we're now operating under, and we had more than 200 winery members give input to that strategic plan through neighborhood meetings, a survey, committee meetings, et cetera. 
And then we had a board of directors retreat to hash it all out. The draft went out to the membership for their review and input and then came back. And then those are our marching orders. And it's very clear. This is what we're going to be working on for these three years. If you've got some big, new, crazy initiative, great, love it. But we're going to work on these things first and we'll take that up when, we're, when we accomplish everything in the current plan. And what are those things that are part of the current strategic plan that you're operating under? First and foremost is always to promote the Appalachian, our wineries, and our wines. Most of the wine needs to be promoted and sold and consumed across the United States and around the world. So our mission is really educating people about the wines, getting them excited about the Appalachian, uh, and trying the wines. A big part of that is educating the influencers, which are people who are buying and selling or recommending wine. So we run a lot of education programs for sommeliers, wine buyers, distributors, wine writers, etc. Teaching them about the Appalachian, about the unique attributes of this region, about the spectacular wines, and why they are indeed world class. When you look at it from the marketing point of view, talk about how that's changed as marketing and distribution of wine oh has changed so <laughs> dramatically. I mean, it's a, it's a very dynamic process. It's still changing in, in many respects. Talk a little bit about that. Yes, absolutely. Well, the power is with the consumer, and that has definitely changed. The power used to be with the uh three-tier system, which uh, in the United States with the repeal of prohibition, uh, every winery then was required to sell it to a distributor who then sold it to the trade, who then sold it to a consumer. And now, thanks to the efforts of many wine organizations, including the Napa Valley Vintners, consumers across the country are able to more easily access wine directly. And that's a dream. We need that. We need that business uh, in order for wineries to be successful because what has happened at the distributor level, so these are the folks who used to right. buy the wine and turn around and sell it to the restaurant or the retailer, there's been tremendous consolidation. There used to be a couple thousand of these distributors, and now it's really exactly, exactly. So it's really hard for small family owned wineries to get attention. Uh, from those big distributors or even to, you know, get taken up and represented by one. So that's why going directly to trade and directly to consumers with our message, with our story, with the wines is absolutely critical. We do do that here at home, but a lot of the work that we do is out in the marketplace, again, across the United States and around the world. What it also does, and this brings us around to some of the other things that, that the organization is involved in, is it really brings front and center the issues of consumer engagement with wineries and wines right here in Napa Valley, and with more and more focus on direct-to-consumer, on, on tourist engagement with wineries, with winemakers, etc., creates more pressure in terms of tourism and wineries here in the Valley, which I know you're actively involved in, in dealing with. Yes, you know, it's interesting, though. I've, I went back when I first started my job, uh, I went back and I read all the minutes from the original board meetings of the organization on through current time. We celebrated our 70th anniversary of the association last year. So I went back through to do it again in, pre in preparation for, for the anniversary. The group was bringing folks here to introduce them to wines and the wineries and the vintners back in the <laughs> 40s. And I'm sure it goes back even, you know, further back than that. But officially as an organization, having that direct engagement with consumers was, was important going back at least 70 years ago and probably beyond. 
it's just critical now. The number one way that people are introduced to a wine is through an experience. And there's nothing like having a direct experience here in the gorgeous Napa Valley. Now, our dream is that they have that wonderful experience, try the wines, and then go back home and continue to buy them wherever they live in the United States or other parts of the world. And that's what we're really working to do uh, is to develop the market, not just here in Napa Valley, but the market's around the world. Of course, one of the other things that it does is it puts greater pressure on tourism here in the valley and greater need for the wineries to promote tourism, to promote visitors to to come begin that process that you're talking about. Talk a little bit about how you and the organization are are dealing with this in the context of of county issues and and the APAC committee and all these issues that I know the vintners are actively engaged in. Absolutely. Well, we have been very involved in that process, the the APAC process, uh, but we're also involved at a at a greater level or deeper deeper level on many of the other issues, winery development and winery compliance, which is what the APAC process was about, is only one piece of a much bigger puzzle that needs to be solved to deal with all of the issues we have here in our community. For example, traffic. Everywhere you go, the number one thing people say is the is you know what's the what's the worst thing about Napa Valley it's the traffic there's so many benefits about Napa Valley that it's sometimes it's okay you know I don't mind actually maybe sitting in the car a little bit longer because it's so beautiful to be here but we fully understand traffic is a problem our community says so our industry says so and so do our visitors so that's a great example of the things that we need to be working on another community process another effort just like we talked about winery development and winery compliance we really need to get our arms around this transportation issue and develop some alternative transportation efforts you know it's interesting the napa county transportation and planning agency last year released a brand new study on the travel patterns and travel behavior years of everyone who lives here and 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 all the uh, folks who who visit here did you know that 70 percent of our traffic is actually caused by us it's the locals so whenever we're upset i like to say if you're upset about the traffic go look in the mirror and look at yourself and ask yourself what are you doing about it how did we get here today? I came in my own car. Shame on me. How did you get here today? <laughs> my own <laughs> okay, car. Okay, there you go. No carpool. We here. have got to we have got to change that. To what extent is that part of the broader mission, the part of broader strategic issues that, that the vintners are dealing with? This is a very as 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 we just talked about, mm-hmm. it has been identified as the mm-hmm. number one issue of concern of locals, of people who work in the industry and visitors. We are very committed to finding some innovative solutions. We are going to be sponsoring a big transportation uh, forum in October. We're going to bring in, be bringing in some experts from outside and other communities that have come up with some innovative solutions, just kind of spur some energy and some some thought around this. You know, some things are already happening here. I'm really intrigued and excited about what Calistoga is doing. And I would recommend that you bring in Chris Canning, the mayor of Calistoga, to talk. He's fantastic. Um, They are getting together. It's a public-private partnership and and working out a system where they're hopefully going to be running shuttle service service for the various hotels, um, their employees, to come in from Santa Rosa, Lake County, and up from Napa. You know, I 
ideas like that of, of ways, again, that we can work together, public-private partnership. Another thing that um, we are excited about is the Vine Trail. It is a hiking, biking, uh, and um, uh, you know, skateboarding trail right. that will get folks around. Sections of that trail are already done. People are already using it. We are a founder of the trail, and we've given a substantial donation of $2.5 million to help uh, see it through. That's just another, it's, it's just one more piece in, in, a, in a bigger, you know, puzzle of things that we can do to help make a difference. Well, it's a really good segue to one of the other areas that, that you're very involved in, which is the whole area of community engagement and really being very aware of the needs of the community. I mean, in many ways, Auction Napa Valley is a big part of that, but that's only one part of it that, right. that people see. There's a lot more that goes on behind the scenes, and perhaps the penultimate example being a year ago with, with your response to the earthquake. Right, yes, absolutely, and very appropriate to be talking about that right. at this time, uh, right at the one-year anniversary. Uh, we are very fortunate that we've got a lot of generous people, both vintners, community members uh, via their volunteerism, as well as bidders who every year come together to make this magic happen known as Auction Napa Valley. And through the auction, we have been able to donate, give back to the community $145 million to date to, 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 do, to do good things, and mainly in the areas of health care, education, and affordable housing. Last year, immediately following the earthquake, we were in a position to make a substantial pledge, a donation of $10 million to the community to help with relief efforts. Uh, and that fund was administered by the Community Foundation. And we are really um, proud that 1,200 homeowners and businesses and nonprofits received direct ass assistance, and thousands more um, were positively helped with paying for medical care, food, shelter, um, home repairs, you know, et cetera, through that donation. Talk a little bit about how that came about, how the decision was made to, to contribute $10 million to the community. <laughs> Well, uh, immediately following the earthquake, literally in the early morning hours that day, we mobilized our team, those who were not um, dealing with their own disasters at home, uh, and went into work to get to work to figure out what could we do. Number one, we needed to help each other, our, our, our colleagues, our coworkers. Number two, to help our community. And number three, to help our members. And we literally divided up our team, the Napa Valley Vintners team, into three groups that focused on that. Um, we first reached out that very immediate day, calling around to everyone we could possibly get a hold of to find out what could we do, how could we be helpful. We did a few things here and there, got money and supplies to different organizations, but we knew we needed to do something bigger. So we contacted government officials, we contacted nonprofit leaders, et cetera, to find a right place to house, you know, a greater mm -hmm. donation, realizing the extent of the damage and the devastation, we knew something significant needed to happen. So we mobilized a group to figure it out. And within 72 hours of the earthquake happening, our board of directors had met and made a decision to give the $10 million to the community foundation to then distribute appropriately throughout the community. Looking back at that decision, were there any parts of it that you would have done differently? 
more money, less money, a different process? <laughs> the or only, did it all work well, as, as you would The only hoped? thing we didn't know at the time, and thank goodness this did eventually happen, is I believe it's around $47 million in federal aid mm-hmm. did come through um, via direct assistance as well as loans. At the time, we had no idea whether right. or not that was going to happen. And in fact, it was a couple of months until that came through, which... Um, is 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 interesting uh so no at the time we definitely made the right decision to donate that 10 million dollars and i want to say we we also are are really grateful that many people in the community and friends and contacts that we have across the country and around the world also gave money we were able to raise another nine hundred thousand dollars that went to that earthquake relief fund you were talking before about the funds from Auction Napa Valley, and, and originally healthcare was really the primary focus for many, many years. It expanded beyond that over the years to include affordable housing, as you say, and then education, mm-hmm. which has become a significant focus now. Talk a little bit about the evolution of those things. Absolutely. As, the, as you were saying, when the auction was first started in 1981, the focus of the giving was solely health care. And in fact, the two hospitals were the original beneficiaries. The third uh, beneficiary was Clinic Olay, now called um, Olay Health. They've changed their name, but Clinic Olay. Um, and from that time forward, for uh, a number of years, it really was just health care. As the auction was becoming more successful, and we were understanding there was greater need in the community. We went through a very thoughtful process, again, a strategic planning process around uh, the topic of if we were to expand beyond healthcare, where could we be the most impactful? We hired some outside researchers to come in, analyze data, conduct interviews uh, with uh, folks in the community, and that's when we decided to venture out into the other areas. We're really proud uh, of the efforts that we're helping in in the area of education. There are educational programs for youth who are just starting school. We've got a preschool initiative. Um, I don't know if you're aware, but the studies have shown that children who uh, are not well prepared for kindergarten are less likely to succeed later on in school and in life. And so having kids better prepared to start school is a huge new effort that we are working in. Other areas are on the other side of, you know, there's this, there's the beginning of your school years. Well, how about this? What do you do after school? The Bo- Boys and Girls Clubs throughout the Napa Valley do a tremendous job with after school programs. And they are one of the biggest beneficiaries of our giving now as well. And in fact, last year, we announced uh, two donations, two very significant donations, $2.5 million to build a new Boys and Girls Club in American okay. Canyon and $2.5 million to build uh, one in Calistoga. Talk a little bit about education as a focus and what impact that it's had on healthcare and has there been concern from the healthcare folks that they're not getting as much anymore and then you know like everything else change is always difficult for people to adapt to it's no different when it comes to money being distributed absolutely i think though that our nonprofit community is um pretty sophisticated in understanding that you need a more holistic approach to solving uh issues and problems in the community Things cannot be solved with just taking care of one small segment. Uh, And so that's why our giving, again, is more holistic. 
talk about the metrics by which you look at all this money going out and try and measure its success and its impact within the community. Exactly. That's critical uh, now more than ever. Uh, nonprofits and people who give money to nonprofits right. have to be accountable for what they're doing. And so this is another thoughtful process that we went through is, is how can we make sure that we are doing the most good and that those funds are being used wisely. And we have a whole new system of, um, of metrics that are being have been developed that the, each of the nonprofits who receives money has to report in twice a year on how they are doing against those metrics. And as we're collecting that data, we're starting to see whether or not we're making an impact. And that has just begun and we're really excited to be able to look at things in a broader level rather than just looking at one agency at a time. All of those metrics come together to look at our giving overall. And what is it showing you at this point? What what changes, what tweaks, what 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 is it information is it giving you right now? Well, I think one thing that we have learned through um all of our efforts and through the giving is the need to make sure that all of the agencies are working together. All of the nonprofits are working together. Um, there have been, you know, maybe concerns about duplication of services uh, or also maybe people falling through the cracks. And so one of the things that we're, we're getting from the data and starting to mm-hmm. realize is then information that we can give back to those who are providing the services. And I think that that is one, just one example, but one of the great benefits of looking at at our giving and the impact of our giving from a broader at a broader level. I want to go kind of 180 degrees from the local focus and something you touched on before, which is the international aspect, the global aspect of, of protecting the Napa Valley name, the right. Napa Valley Appalachian, and a lot of work that the organization is doing really on an international level. Talk right. about that. Exactly. Thank you. Yes, although we focus a lot of our efforts here at home, we are meanwhile working very hard across the country and around the world, not just to market and promote the Napa Valley Appalachian and our wines, but also to protect that which we have uh, developed. And so the Napa name has come to mean something in the world of wine, means something very important. And it is a value. And unfortunately, we have found that there are folks in, in other parts of the world who want to trade on that good name. So, for example, somebody making a wine uh, from a lesser known region or an area such as a country as in China right. and putting out a, a, a wine that says Napa on it when it, there is absolutely not one drop of Napa wine in the bottle. And so we've worked re- really hard to... Um, to get the laws and protections in place, first of all, to put a stop to that, and then secondly, to, to, to set up systems so that that doesn't happen anymore. So we were actually the first region um, in China to earn what is called geographic indication status, which now means that the government officially is protecting our name, and it's not just us having to go after it one business at a time. Uh, We've also been able to um, earn that kind of protection now in about a dozen other countries. The other area that you've been involved on on the government level, the political level, is in a real concern about Indian gaming. And there was just a development this week in Sonoma in Windsor on this very issue. Talk a little bit about what's happening in that regard and what the Vintners are involved in. Our organization has been working in partnership with um, 
Napa County uh, with other organizations like the Farm Bureau, the Sierra Club, the Chamber of Commerce uh, to prevent Indian uh, gaming uh, casino to be built in Napa Valley. If we're worried about traffic, water, housing, et cetera, now, just at the way that our county currently is, can you imagine if some multi-mega casino was built in the middle of the ag preserve? And that's, that's what concerns us, is that any development that takes place really needs to follow our local laws on the books that are, in, that are here to protect this beautiful valley. It is scary to think that anyone could possibly come in and develop something and be able to disregard all of those laws, and we're trying to prevent that. Talk a little more about that, why it is such a concern, even beyond the, the fear that and, and the unlikelihood that somebody's going to plop a casino down in the middle of the ag I preserve. don't think it's, I don't think you, uh, saying that it's unlikely, I, uh, eyes are definitely on Napa Valley. We know mm-hmm, this. Right. We've actually seen a report. We right. know that there's some big money behind it, that there are uh, folks, uh, and these are folks um, from, you know, Vegas casinos who are right. who are backing other individuals to try to start a casino in Napa Valley. And so it is a real threat, and we do not want to see that happen. Mm -hmm. And talk a little bit about what's being done to try and prevent that from happening, the efforts that you and the board are engaged in. Right, exactly. We've had to go to Washington, D.C. a number of times to uh, meet with the Bureau of Indian Affairs and other folks in Congress, as well as the administration, to talk about how devastating this would be and to talk about our concerns of someone being able to come in and be declared a sovereign nation and take land in uh, take in land that then does not have to abide by any of our very stringent local laws. We have the strictest laws on the books with relation to how we farm our properties, how we make wine, etc. of anywhere in the United States. Some thinking that someone else could come in and plop down something in the middle of that and not have to abide by anything is frightening. What's gone on in Sonoma this week is is an interesting example of that, where the Board of Supervisors in Sonoma basically in, and went off and made a deal for this land outside of Windsor because they thought it was the more expedient thing to do. Right. Do you think something like that could happen here? I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think so. We've been working in partnership again with our local mm-hmm. government, and I think we're all on the same page that that is not something we want to have here happen in Napa County. Besides that, look out five years, 10 years. What, what are the issues coming down the road? What are the things that you think we'll be talking about five years well, from now? Number one, as I was talking about before, definitely coming up with alternative modes of transportation, getting us all to participate personally and in doing things differently and how we get around, even just starting a carpool program. Like what if everyone who lives and works here at least one day a week agreed to carpool? Just think of the difference we could make with that and then go from there. So I think five years from now, we're still going to be working uh, to solve our transportation issues. The other thing that we really need to get our arms around and make progress on is developing workforce housing. When you look at that transportation study and you see how many people are driving into this county in order to work every day, it's it's really high numbers. And, uh, and I also, I worry about that and I worry about the quality of life that those people have and sitting in their cars trying to get to and from work every day. We have a work 
workforce housing problem here in Napa County. And that is an area that needs to be solved. And I'm hoping that in five years, we could look back and say that we made progress in these areas. Do you think that's a problem, the housing problem specifically, that is solvable? I think that I think that there are definitely things that can be done to be more um, creative, to be uh, more forceful to, as well. That when development does occur, to be realistic about the impacts that that has, about the number of employees it takes to. Uh, be involved in any business operation. I'm not just talking wineries, I'm talking about any business. And to uh, have agreements where housing is actually created, not money, just, uh, you know, a little drop of money put away into a fund, but that things actually happen and that they have to be a part of that. Yes, I do think that there are solutions. I think there are some nice examples of things that are happening, but I think there's a lot more that we could do. And what's going to be different or the same with respect to the wine industry itself and some of the issues we started talking about at the very beginning. Let's uh, come full circle on that. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Five years from now, it would be terrific if uh, we were able, number one, going back to transportation, to have other ways of helping folks to get around, not just the people who work here, but also the people who visit. I think that that's critical. I think also uh, one thing that is extremely important, we haven't talked about this yet, so if you don't mind, I'd like to bring it up. I would love that in five years from now, we are um, well on our way uh, and hopefully meeting our goal to have every uh, Napa Valley Vintner member in the Napa Green program. This is an outside third-party green certification program. We have a goal that by uh, 2020, everyone is in the program. We're really proud that so far 66,000 acres of land is enrolled in the program. And this is helping everyone to do the best job that they can in taking care of their uh, land and natural resources. It's acting responsibly. It's following best practices. It's going beyond just, it's going beyond just meeting current regulations and really doing a good job with conserving water, uh, with protecting open space, with protecting wildlife habitat, et cetera, et cetera. So in terms of like a goal for five years from now, it's, it's that we We've met that or we're well on our way to meeting that. Well, a good one to end on. (laughs) Linda Reef, CEO of the Napa Valley Vintners, I thank you so much for spending time with us on Napa Broadcasting today. Thank you very much. It's been fun. Thank you. You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com, Napa Valley Radio for the way we live now.